So tonight we're finishing up our series on friendship, and we're going to look at what it means for Jesus to be our, our truest and greatest friend. But before we get into that passage, uh, just imagine this with me. Imagine that it's 20 years ago, and you are in a small coffee shop in Hartford, Connecticut. And as you go up to the counter, you notice a stack of various newspapers from different uh, publishing companies, and you notice the local newspaper, and it has an interesting headline. So you grab it, you get your coffee, and then you go down to uh, find a place to sit. Now, the headline reads, Bobo Stuck With Me. And you're a little intrigued because Bobo seems like a strange name, but it's actually the nickname for a a well-known man in town named Robert Bonadies. Now, as you're opening up the paper, you're beginning to wonder what in the world did Robert do to make the front page news of the Hartford, Connecticut newspaper. And as you start to read through, you slow down realizing that this is an article that's probably not going to have a particularly happy ending. You see, Robert was the president of the Connecticut Parachutists Association. It's a nonprofit skydiving club that operates out of a local airport. And Robert oftentimes teamed up with another uh, skydiving enthusiast named Jim to offer lessons for new skydiving recruits. Now, this was a particular Monday morning that was beautiful out, and Jim and Robert were accompanying a newer skydiver named Cynthia for one of her first full-height non-tandem jumps. So they were going up to an altitude of 12,000 feet. Uh, It was a beautiful day, clear day. They got on the plane. They're climbing up. They reach that altitude, and it's time for them, the three skydivers, to make their plunge. So they jump out of the plane, and Robert and Jim are holding tightly to Cynthia as they are going through the free fall part of their skydiving. So they're holding on to little uh, straps that are connected to her parachute uh, outfit. And as they are descending, everything is going well. They've got their bodies properly placed with their torsos facing down to the ground with their uh, kind of uh, neck and feet arcing back like you're supposed to. And then they gave the signal for Cynthia to pull her ripcord. And she went over to find her ripcord, and that's when panic ensued because it wasn't where it was supposed to be. So she went to find her ripcord, and it wasn't there. And in her panic, she got scared, and it caused her and all three of them holding on to start going into a tumble. So they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They're accelerating speed. Typically, we're about 120 miles an hour. If you start to really plummet, you can reach 170 miles an hour. So they're falling down, losing track of which way is up and down, going 170 miles an hour down towards the ground. It's very dangerous to open up your chute any lower than 2,000 feet. That's kind of the cutoff altitude. And they looked at their altimeter, and they were approaching 1,000 feet. At that point, Jim's grip slipped, and he slid off and opened up his chute. And now it was just Robert and Cynthia. And Cynthia records that the last thing that she remembers amongst the chaos is being upside down, and Robert was right beside her, pulling on something, and that's the last thing she remembered, and then her canopy opened with just 600 feet left as they were going down towards the ground. She made a pretty rough landing, but she was okay, and as she was looking around, she was trying to spot Robert, but she couldn't find him. So she went back to the, uh, back to the main lodge area of the airport, and she was asking where Robert was, and her fears were true. Robert didn't make it. Robert, shoot, he didn't have time after saving Cynthia to open up his own shoot. 
she broke down crying in that moment, realizing that Robert had given up his life to save hers. And she was interviewed by the paper a little bit later, and she quoted, she said, you know, Bobo stuck with me until I was safely under the canopy before ever thinking of his own safety. And fortunately, he just didn't have the time to deploy his parachute. He saved my life, and as the headline stated, Bobo stuck with me to the end. Cynthia was rightly moved by the gravity of Robert's sacrifice that day. I mean, Robert could have, could have let her fall to her death. Robert could have given up when his altimeter read 1,000 feet. He could have saved himself, yet he chose the ultimate act of bravery. He chose to lay down his life for his friend. And as I say that, and that's kind of the point of the opening illustration, we know that that is a beautiful verse that Jesus himself said in John 15. In John 15, 13, Jesus said these words to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And you know, that's such a beautiful verse. That's one of those verses that we love that we just want to put on a plaque and hang somewhere in our law, in our, on a wall in our house. But even though it's a beautiful verse, that's not a verse that's cushioned in kitschy sentimentality. It's a verse that was foreshadowing the greatest act of love that the world had ever known. You know, I imagine that upon hearing these words for the first time, the apostles probably were thinking that Jesus was just speaking in hyperbolic language like he typically was. He was over-exaggerating to make an important point about being self-sacrificial in friendship. However, they would soon soon learn that Jesus wasn't talking over the top here. It was just a few hours later that he would be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane by a, a kiss by Judas, and the events would unfold that would lead to his ultimate crucifixion. Jesus meant what he said. There's no greater love than laying one's life down for his friends. And tonight, I just want us to spend a little bit of time reflecting on the greatest act of friendship that the world has ever known. And as we close out this series on friendship, we, want, we need to realize that Jesus is the greatest friend that we could ever find. So with that in mind, I want to read a little bit of the surrounding context of John 15, 13. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15 if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Here's what Jesus says. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You know, this passage is absolutely radical. And my fear is it's so well known to us that we miss the radicalness and we skim right over Jesus' words when we read through these verses with little contemplation or wonder or worship. So why is this passage so radical? Well, this passage teaches that Jesus bestows upon us the title of friend. Now, you have to remember that might seem commonplace to us, but in the first century Greco-Roman world that this was written in, they had no concept for something like this. They had no concept because in this world, there was no category for a friendship with a deity. 
There was an eternal chasm between the gods and mankind. And in their culture, the gods would never condescend to the level of friendship with humanity. Humans existed to serve them, to worship them, to grovel before them. They viewed the human deity relationship through a filter of powerful master and subservient slave. But Jesus completely dismantles this paradigm. He differentiates himself from all of the other false gods by offering something that's radical and unimaginable. He elevates humble, broken humanity to a place of honor, of being an honored friend. A lot of commentators note this probably reflects the verbiage of a a king who oftentimes had his friends surrounding him at a special table during meals. These were the king's confidants. These were the king's special guests that got to sit with him and were invited into the intimate spaces of the king's life. That's probably the usage Jesus is using here. And the more we understand who Jesus truly is, the more that we understand how radical this offer of friendship is as well. The more we contemplate the nature of Jesus, the more we see the unfathomable nature of God's love for us. I mean, just consider what these passages say about the person of Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 and 17. For our young adults, we're going to study this in more detail this fall, but I'll give you a little taste of what this says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. He's before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. John 1, 3 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now that is who Jesus truly is. He is fully possessing of every divine attribute that God the Father and the Holy Spirit have. He is uh, the person that through whom the universe was created. And not only that, it was created for him. And not only that, as Colossians tells us, the universe holds together every second of every day through his sustaining sovereign power. That is Jesus. And sometimes I think we forget that. And the more we contemplate who Jesus is And then who we are, we begin to grasp why friendship between us and Jesus is so radical. He's the creator. We're the creation. He is infinite. We are finite. He is all powerful and we are plagued by weakness and frailty. He's perfect, but we're marred by imperfections. He's righteous and holy, but we're broken and sinful. Here's here's the point. We have no business being a friend of Jesus. For the sovereign creator of the universe to call me his friend requires a condensation uh, so extreme I can't even fathom it. When looking at this list, I I get the master-servant paradigm, but I struggle with understanding why Jesus would ever want to call me his friend. I am so undeserving of his love. I'm so undeserving of his friendship. And yet Jesus loves us in spite of who we are. 
He loves us in spite of all of our failures and all of our sin and all of our brokenness. He loves us and he befriends us even while we were in the the muck and filth of our sin. And he gladly lays his life down for us so that we can experience true life with him for eternity. This passage reminds us that Jesus is not my master or my friend. He's both. He's both. The gospel amazingly weds those concepts of kingship and companionship together with how we get to relate to Jesus. And that's a pretty amazing thing. From the rest of scripture, we know that because we're friends with Jesus, that that doesn't mean that he's no longer our king and our Lord. We know that very well. There's many titles that we have as Christ followers, Christ follower, Christian, child of God, son or daughter of the king, uh, disciple, follower, but also friend. They all work together. And in this friendship, we have to recognize for some of us, it feels a little, I don't know, a, a little unorthodox to call Jesus our friend. It feels a little degrading to Jesus, but he's the one that uses that term. But we have to have an appropriate understanding of friendship. It's not a friendship among equals. This is not a reciprocity friendship where Jesus gets out the same that we get out of it. No, we are the beneficiaries of this friendship and he's still our king. And we see that even in this passage, Jesus makes it really clear in verse 14. He says, you're my friends if you obey me. He says we're friends, but there's still an expectation that we obey and follow his directions. We never get to use friendship with Jesus as an excuse to sin and disobey God and say, oh, Jesus, my bro, it doesn't really matter what I do. That's not what's going on in this passage. Instead, the undeserved honor of friendship with Jesus should fill us with gratitude that motivates us to love him even more deeply and to serve him even more faithfully. Jesus doesn't solely want to be our king. He also desires to be our friend. He desires the intimacy, the loyalty, and the mutual affection that accompanies all meaningful friendships. And Jesus highlights that fact in verse 15. Jesus says, here's the reason you know that you're friends and not just servants and that there's intimacy in our relationship. He says, I I tell you what I'm thinking. I tell you my plans. I tell you what God's revealed to me. A master never explains itself to his servant. He has absolute authority and he says, do it. And he expects it to be done. And God has every right to do that of us. He created us. We are his servants. And yet he says, you're not just my servants because I desire something more deep with you. A friend gets invited behind the curtain. A friend gets to hear the thought process of a decision. A friend gets insider access to the key information. A friend gets to know the rationale and deliberation behind a plan. And we need to realize that we have so much of that through scripture and through the Spirit's work in our life. We might not know everything that God's doing, but he gives us a whole lot. He tells us certain threads that he's weaving together in our life for our good. He tells us how the story's going to end. He tells us that he calls us his kids. He tells us why Jesus had to die because of our sin. He explains himself. He He invites us behind the curtain and he says, I want you to know my heart just as I want to know your heart. God wants an intimate relationship with us, which is what makes Christianity so dramatically different than any other religion in the world. No other religions have, the, have a God who opens himself up to friendship and that intimate relationship with his creation. That is absolutely incredible. And I don't know about you, but that evokes 
a desire in me to worship Jesus. As the psalmist says in Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? Or to phrase it another way, who am I, Jesus, that you'd want to call me a friend? You know, as we work through that passage, we're going a little shorter tonight. So it's going to be a little shorter message. I've just got four words of application, four responses to Jesus' offer of friendship. Here's the first one. You need to make sure that you become a friend of Jesus. You need to make sure that you become a friend of Jesus. Going back to our opening illustration, uh, we're Cynthia in that illustration. We, we, jumped, we jumped out of the airplane without a working parachute. By our sin, we chose to get away from God. We wanted to run as far away from God as possible. We chose to disobey him. And because of that, scripture makes it pretty clear. We are plummeting towards eternal separation from God unless someone intervenes. And we don't have the power to intervene on our own. And Jesus jumped out of the plane to catch up with us and to pull our chute to rescue us. He did that when he came to earth. He lived the perfect life that we needed to do. He died the death that we deserved. And he offers friendship to anybody who just repents of their sin and puts their trust in him. That's all you have to do. Repent, turn away from your sin and say, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of chasing after the things that have brought death and pain and brokenness to my life. And I want to turn my focus onto Jesus. And I trust that I can't save myself. I can't pull my own ripcord through my good works or through being a good person or through doing religious rituals. I need somebody else to rescue me. But the problem is there's a lot of people who fight Jesus. He wants to pull the ripcord for every single one of us, but there's a lot of us who fight him and say, no, I want to do it my way. We have to become a friend of Jesus through repentance and faith. So if there's anybody here tonight that's not a friend of Jesus, please hear his plea from this passage. He wants a relationship with you, but you have to open yourself up to that. Here's a second thing. Remember how deeply you are loved by Jesus. Notice, and I love this, notice that Jesus says, you are my friends if you obey my commandments. He doesn't invert that order and say, if you obey my commandments, you earn being my friend. No, he says, you are my friends. And because of who I say you are and your new identity, that, that can change who you are going to be. You now have the power to obey me and be the person I've created you to be. Jesus loves us not because of what we merit or what we do or what we earned. He loved us in spite of all that we are. I just want you to know tonight how deeply you are loved by Jesus. And I think that's a message that we need to hear sometimes because there's a lot of us who can go throughout life longing to be loved by somebody, longing to know that we matter, longing to know that we belong longing to know that someone truly cares about us. And scripture makes it clear there's only one person who fits those categories perfectly, and it's Jesus. Jesus loves you deeply and profoundly. I think of what Paul writes in Ephesians 3.18. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
He says, it's really not even comprehensible how loved you are in Jesus. And maybe just some of you tonight need to hear that message. Here's a third response to Jesus' offer for friendship. We need to be a better friend of Jesus. We need to remember that the core of Christianity is not material to be mastered, but a savior to be savored. We need to cultivate our relationship and our friendship with Jesus. You know, sometimes I think we can get ourselves in a bind where we equate Christianity with just material to be mastered. If I know the right things, if I know how to do certain X, Y, and Z, if I check all the boxes, if I get all these paradigms, then that makes me a a good Christian. And and I'm not saying there's anything bad about knowledge or theology or any of those things. I, I love those things. I mean, our poor young adults have been sitting through like hour-long lectures of me on those things the last few weeks at Young Adults. Like I'm not putting a dichotomy between knowledge and experience, but I'm saying the core of our faith is not theology, it's a person. It's a savior to be savored. And I think there are so many people who go throughout their spiritual lives miserable and grumpy because they don't know who Jesus is on a intimate experiential level. They don't know the joy of opening up scripture and hearing Jesus talk to their hearts. They don't know the joy of having a peace that surpasses understanding, guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. They don't know the excitement that comes from life change when you can look in the mirror and know it's not you doing it, it's God doing it in you. There's so many people that settle for a watered down programmatic Christianity that Jesus never intended. It's so much more than that. We need to be better friends to Jesus. We need to savor that friendship. And part of friendship is spending time together. It's having having fun together. It's hearing from each other and being willing to listen. And we desperately need to do that in our friendship with Jesus as well. Making time with it, not because it's a requirement, but because it's something that we desperately want. Enjoying real interactions with Jesus, whether that's recharging in your spiritual life through spending time in nature or worship like this or gathering together with other Christ-minded followers. We need to be better friends and enjoy and savor that time with Jesus. And here is, here's my last one. Jesus said at the beginning of this passage, we need to love other people just like he loved us. We need to lay our lives down for our friends. That's my last suggestion. And, and I want to land the plane there for just a moment because we live in a world right now where this is not a very popular verse. It's not a very popular verse. We enjoy the aspect of Jesus sacrificially laying his life down for us. But when Jesus says, go and do likewise for your other Christ followers and for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for your friends, we don't like the sound of that. I'm not trying to be too uh, in your face here, but This is something I need reminded of and we all need reminded of. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost. There are far too many Christ followers right now who are very, very focused on their rights. And here's something that I was reminded of when I was prepping this sermon this morning. If Jesus cared about his rights, we'd still be going to hell. He surrendered his rights. He was seated at the right hand of the father and he 
humbled himself and took on the form of a servant being made in the likeness of man and laid down his life. If Jesus cherished his rights above all else, rather than serving us, we'd have no hope. So if Jesus was willing to surrender his rights so that we could be saved, how can we not be willing to surrender our rights to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and to serve others well? We need to sacrificially love. We began with a newspaper headline that read, Bobo stuck with me. But we ended by reading a scripture passage that teaches us Jesus sticks with me. There's nothing better than knowing Jesus. And my hope and my sincerest prayer is that you experience that for yourself. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, this is a, this is just an amazing passage. And and to be honest, it, it takes so many times to read through and meditate on to really understand the gravity of what Jesus says here. Jesus offers us friendship with himself and with you. He offers us an intimate relationship that we have no right to. And Father, he even tells us how he made that possible. It was by laying his life down and dying on the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven and have eternal life with you through him. So Father, I pray that we truly do understand that what a friend we have in Jesus. And Father, if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't have that friendship with Jesus, who doesn't know what it's like to be known and loved by Jesus fully, I pray tonight's the night that they might repent of their sin and put their faith in him. But Father, for all of us here tonight, I just pray that as we understand your love for us more deeply, we feel motivated to be better friends of Jesus and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ better. Be with us and be with our worship time and be glorified by this next couple of songs. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.